Well, good morning, and once again, we thank you for joining us at worship today. We're glad you're here to study God's Word and to sing His praises. Uh, Please join me in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to visit a few places in Scripture, but this is where we're going to start. Today we begin a a five-week series uh, that we're just simply calling Foundations. Uh, Foundations. We're going to do something similar to what Alpha's doing, only Alpha's going to really dig a bit deeper. We're just going to kind of do broad brush strokes, paint broad brush strokes here on Sunday morning, but Basically, we want, to, we want to hit several of the key themes that, that tie Scripture together. I don't know if this is true of you, but I found it when I was a kid in hearing a lot of stories in Sunday school class. You know, one week we'd talk about um, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, and then maybe we would jump back and talk about the, the fall in the Garden of Eden. And then maybe we would find ourselves talking about Elijah and one of the miracles he did. And then maybe we would talk about... Uh, Paul being, uh, you know, Paul and Silas escaping from prison or something. And I, I, I heard a lot of the Bible stories. I knew a lot of the information, but I, I, I struggled to see how it all fit together, how it all fit into God's big story. And it wasn't until I was a little bit older that I was taught that the Bible is, is actually uh, God revealing his story to us, the story of Jesus Christ. And it begins in the early chapters of Genesis and And Jesus Christ is the the key theme, the center of the story that weaves its way through Scripture and culminates in the book of Revelation. And as we we understand, as we begin to understand that that Scripture is is working towards a goal, it's not just a collection of random stories, but it's it's got a point and a thesis, and it's, it's pointing us to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and how we can have a relationship with Him. To me, that that helps have a place where I can hang all of these other stories as they fit into God's big story. And that's kind of what we want to do in this, in this series we call, we're calling Foundations. And the, the topic today is Revelation. And this is kind of the, the, the foundation to the foundation, so to speak. Uh, the, the, the four major themes are going to be creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. But at the, at the kind of undergirding them all is the fact that God has revealed himself to us. When I say revelation, I'm not talking about the book of Revelation, but the the fact that God has spoken, that God speaks to us, that God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And as we're going to study in the next few weeks, each of these themes are are very important to understanding the whole message. But God has chosen to, to communicate to the people that he has created. And I hope you know today that that is really, really good news. We all, you know, with modern technology, most of us have cell phones or telephones at home that have caller ID on them. And so some of us, let's be honest, when you, when you see the phone ring, you know, you've got those names in your phone where you see that caller ID light up and you're like, ah, I don't have the time right now. And you silence that call. I hope, though, when, when you realize that God has spoken to you and is speaking to you through his word, that that's not like that with you, that you don't see or hear his voice and, and, and see that he is wanting to speak and that you just groan and silence his phone call. God has chosen to reveal himself to us through his word, and that is really, really good news. 
If you have your notes that are in the bulletin and you want to fill in some blanks, the first thing I want to talk about is the importance of revelation. The importance of revelation. Revelation is simply God disclosing who He is. Uh, One theologian says it's the making known of God's person, His nature and deeds in Scripture, history, and supremely the person of Jesus Christ. God also made known to a limited yet important extent is made known uh, to a limited yet important extent through his creation. God reveals himself to us. If you're in Genesis 1, many of you may be able to recite this verse from memory, but Genesis 1.1 simply says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's, that's how the Bible starts off. No attempt to any kind of an introduction, no background information, no telling us who this God is, or what he's been doing all this time in preparation for creating the heavens and the earth. We're just introduced, a cold turkey, to God. In the beginning, God. That's how the Bible starts. Very unique introduction. But we discover from the very first verse that this is a God who is involved. A God who is part of his creation. He is not simply transcendent over his creation. There, there are those who would call themselves deists. A, a deist is someone believes, who believes in God, who believes, in fact, even that, that God created the world, but he kind of spun the sucker and then just stepped back and is going to keep his hands off and is at a distance watching things unfold. But the Bible tells us that our God, the God of the Bible, is very different than that. He is not a God who is simply far off. And, and, and when we talked about His attributes uh, last fall, we talked about God's holiness. There is a sense in which God is transcendent. But Scripture also speaks of a God who is imminent. A God who is above us in a sense that he is, he is holy and His perfections are far, far above His creation. But at the same time, God is imminent. He is near. He is close by. And He is involved in His creation. And we see right here in Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But it doesn't just stop there with creation. It goes on to tell us, if you flip over to Genesis 2. Genesis 2, verse 15. It tells us that the Lord God took the man. So this is, we we skipped a little bit of information. We're going to go back and talk about creation next week. But it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So we see that this God doesn't just create the world, but he steps in and gets involved. He begins communicating He sees that his creation, he looks down, he sees what he has made, he says it's very, very good. Yet he notices that Adam is lonely. Adam needs companionship. See, he's concerned about our needs. He is interested in what's going on in our life. And so he creates Eve so that Adam and Eve can enjoy one another, can share companionship. This God who creates is also the God who is involved in the God who speaks. This is really, really, really good news. Maybe you remember your first crush. And uh, 
You remember sitting in class and you're trying to think about how you're going to work up the courage to, to speak to him or her. And, and maybe, you know, if it's later on and you're in high school, you're trying to work up the courage to ask him to go out or go to the dance with you. And, and you, you think that maybe they don't even know who you are. And, and you're, you're kind of nervous and you're awkward. And, and so you, you walk up and you introduce yourself. And then they say, oh, I know who you are. And you're like, really? Really? You know who I am? Yeah. And so then you work the courage up to, to ask her out. And she said, I'd love to go to the dance with you. And you just can't believe it. You think, what's, what's just happened here? Someone paid her off. Did my mom call her mom and <laughs> promised gifts or dowry or whatever? And that great feeling that, that that person knows who you are, that that person is even willing to talk to you is like the best news in all the world when you're in high school. Well, to an infinitely greater... And I, if I just totally drew up, drew up bad memories, like if that didn't go well for you, and that person totally blew you off or like sneered, I'm so sorry, <laughs> and my illustration is totally derailed. <laughs> but for those of you who did go well or you've seen it go well in a movie... <laughs> You know, you know to an infinitely greater degree how wonderful it is that God knows your name, that God wants to communicate with you, and that God wants to be involved in your life. This is the God who reveals himself. And then we'll take it another chapter further, and some of you know what happens in chapter 3. The whole thing goes to pot in chapter 3. Adam and Eve, they had it good. They were created in a, in a perfect environment. The most, um, un, we can't even fathom what the Garden, Garden of Eden was like because all we know is a world, despite its beauty, that has been touched and tainted by sin. The Garden of Eden was unlike anything that any of us have ever seen or known. And Adam and Eve were created and placed in that, in that wonderful, wonderful environment. And we all know the story. The serpent came in, deceived them. And Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They ate the fruit that they were forbidden to eat. But even in their disobedience, even in their rebellion and rejection of God, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 tells us this. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That sound can be unbelievably terrifying or incredibly comforting, depending upon where you're at. If you are trying to hide from God, it's a scary sound. But when you want to be found by God, when you need God, the sound of Him walking in the garden in the cool of the day is a wonderful thing. But it says, And the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? I want you to know just how important verse 9 is because at the end of verse 8, God could have done something that would have totally changed the course of human history. God could have said, You want to hide? Fine. See ya. And he had every right to do that. He didn't owe us a pursuit. He didn't owe us a game of hide and seek. He didn't owe us a relationship. He didn't owe us a redeemer. 
He didn't owe us restoration. But Genesis chapter 3, verse 9 is one of the, the, the most gracious verses in all the Bible. But the Lord God called to them. This is the God that we worship. The God who calls out to sinners. The God who pursues those who are running away from Him as fast as they possibly can. This is really, really good news. This is the God who reveals Himself. The God who interacts. God called to them. Where are you? This is the God who has chosen to reveal Himself to us. The God who has spoken through His Word. And so revelation, the fact that God reveals Himself is very, very important. Secondly, we think about the manner of revelation. The manner of revelation. And this is where I'm going to bring in a couple of theological categories that I may or may not be helpful to you. Uh, theologians speak of God's revelation to us in, in two different terms. General revelation and special revelation. General revelation and special revelation. I want to just briefly explain what each of those means and, and, and these categories may or may not be beneficial to you. Uh, Mindy mentioned Psalm 19 uh, during the, the music set. Psalm 19 verses 1 through 4 tell us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the earth. General revelation is simply this, that the way that God reveals Himself to us through nature, the things that we can look around and see and say, there must be a designer behind this. This is too amazing to have just happened, to just be here by chance. That's general revelation. General revelation brings to us a limited knowledge of God. If you read Romans 1, it's a great uh, illustration of general, general revelation because what, he, what Paul explains there is that, that nobody is without excuse with regards to God's judgment because everything, everyone has seen at least some glimpse of God. Whether you've heard the Bible taught to you from when you were a we lad, or, or from uh, the, the creation around you, we all know something. Even if it's a little something, we all know something of God, Romans 1 teaches us. That's general revelation. General revelation. It brings to us at least a limited knowledge of God. But not only does it do that, it brings a sufficient knowledge of sin. See, even if someone has never been exposed to God's Word, never had a chance to learn God's Word, uh, Romans chapter 2 tells us that for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. So that is, everybody who has sinned without knowledge of God's commandments. He says they're going to also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So he's saying there's, there's really no escape for the, the unrepentant sinner. If you've never been exposed to God's Word, you're still going to be judged. If you have been exposed to God's Word, then you'll be judged by the things you learned from God's Word. He said there's, there's really no way out when it comes to judgment if you, if you are unrepentant, if you don't turn to Christ. So he says it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. He says, for when the Gentiles, or in this case he's speaking of those who have not 
heard about God, those who are unreached with the message of, of Christ. He says, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. What Paul means here, oh, I, I didn't finish the passage, while their conscience also bears witness in their, their conflicting thoughts, accuse or even excuse them, on that day when, according to the gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. This is a, maybe a, some, a few dizzying verses, but really important theological concept. Basically, what he's saying is, even if we haven't been exposed to God's word, we all have a basic sense of right and wrong in our hearts, right? I mean, um, people have missionaries who go into, into locations in the middle of nowhere, in the jungles of Papua New Guinea or Indonesia or or in, in dark places in Africa where, where the, the message of Christ has not been, they all discover one thing to be true, is that everybody in those, in those villages have a certain set of right and wrong. Everybody has a certain set of morality. It may be a very loose set of morality, but in almost every culture, that, in every culture you will, you will come across, no matter where you go, you will discover that, that taking another's life is wrong. Now, they may have little clauses in there that excuse certain, certain acts of murder, but by and large, taking another's life will be wrong in every culture, whether they've ex- been exposed to Judeo-Christian values or not. Taking someone else's possessions is almost universally considered wrong. Taking someone else's wife is almost universally considered wrong. There's, there's a certain set of laws, and, it, and Romans 2 explains what sociologists have discovered and anthropologists have discovered around the world that there is a law written on men's hearts. And what this passage is saying is, hey, even if they're not going to be able to be judged by the law of God, even if they've never heard the law of God, they're going to be judged by their own law. And the fact is that all of us have, have violated our consciences at, at some point or another. All of us have done things where at the end, end of doing them, or at a time to reflect on them, we say, I really shouldn't have done that. I really shouldn't have done that. This is general revelation that God has spoken through creation and that God has written his law on our hearts. And the Bible says that God has revealed himself to us in that way. But he's also revealed himself to us by way of special revelation. By way of special revelation. This is this uh, special revelation. Uh, by that, we're, theologians simply are referring to to, um, to God's Word and God's Son. God's Word and God's Son. By His Word, we're talking... Uh, 2, 2 Timothy 3.16 is a, is a great verse for this. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. God has communicated this message to us. That's why, that's why we... Use this as our textbook on Sunday mornings. This is God's word to us. You will never see me up here with uh, the newspaper. You will never see me up here with Reader's Digest or even even uh, theological books that that say a lot of great things about God. This right here is our textbook because this is how God has spoken to us. This is what theologians call special revelation that God has chosen in a in a very special and unique way to communicate. His word to us. And right along with that, the Bible teaches that um, God communicates through His Son. 
I want you to leave Genesis and go over to Hebrews. This will be the last passage I have you turn to. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. God has communicated through His Word and through His Son. The coming of Jesus Christ, of course, was significant in so many levels. Uh, In John chapter 1, we're told that no one has seen God at any time, um, but the only God who is at the Father's side He has made Him known. The Bible teaches us that part of the reason for Jesus Christ coming is so that He could reveal God to us. So that we could see God. And then Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 give us a couple of very, very important verses. The writer of Hebrews starts off the book this way. He says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. These verses are very, very important to us because they tell us a couple of things about God's Son. First of all, they tell us that long ago, at one point in time, God spoke in many Ways He says, long ago, at many times and many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So a lot, of different, a lot of different scenarios in the Old Testament. Dreams and visions. God coming to the prophets. God, God sending an angel to speak. God even used a donkey to communicate his message in the Old Testament. God spoke in various ways. He contrasts it, though, by what's taking place now. He says, but, but in these days, in these last days... He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir over all things, through whom He also created the world. He draws a contrast. God used to speak this way, but now He has spoken through His Son, Jesus Christ. As we think about what the Bible reveals to us about Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ, We need to realize a few things about Scripture. First of all, that Scripture is sufficient. I think I've got got slides for that. Yeah, Scripture is sufficient. God's Word is sufficient. This is a really, really important point in our culture because a lot of times we we run around and we would like like to have other revelation. We would like to learn new things. We want to find out the the latest and greatest mystical experience. And, And so sometimes we... We go too far. We go outside the bounds of Scripture looking for a message from God when He's revealed it to us right here. Now God, I fully believe that God speaks to us, but He doesn't do it in the same way that He did in the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us He's spoken through His Son now. We have the completed revelation of, of God, the written word of God. There's no books being added. Uh, the, the last book of the Bible, right at the very end of the book of Revelation, says if anybody adds or takes away to this book, it actually pronounces a curse upon them. We need to realize that this is God's message to us. I, I, thought, I found this this week in um, uh, a book by Kevin DeYoung. 
He wrote this. He said, this is, uh, Jesus Christ is God's full and final act of redemption and God's full and final revelation of himself. Even the later teachings of the apostles were simply the remembrance of what Christ said and the further spirit-wrought explanation of all that he was and all that he accomplished. Nothing can be added to his redemptive work, John Frame says, and anything and nothing can be added to the revelation of that redemptive work. If we say that revelation is not complete, we must admit that somehow the work of redemption also remains unfinished. So are we, are we saying that God no longer speaks? Not at all. But we must think carefully about how he speaks in these last days. God now speaks through his Son. So yes, God still speaks. He is not silent. He communicates with us personally and directly, but this ongoing speech is not ongoing revelation. We're not hearing new information that has not been given to us before. The Holy Spirit no longer reveals new doctrines, but takes everything from Christ, John sixteen fourteen. Theologian Herman, Herman Bavinck writes, In Christ, God's revelation has been completed. So Hebrews is telling us that in these last days, God speaks to us not by many and various ways, but in one way, through His Son. And He speaks through His Son by the revelation of the Son's redeeming work that we find first predicted and prefigured in the Old Testament and then recorded in the Gospels and finally unpacked by the Spirit through the apostles in the rest of the New Testament. Scripture is enough because the work of Christ is enough. We need to be careful about going to other places to find a message from God. God has revealed himself to us through his word. But secondly, not only is scripture sufficient, but scripture is clear. Scripture is clear. The saving message of Jesus Christ is plainly taught in scriptures and can be understood by all who have ears to hear it. We don't mean by this that that everything is easy to understand, that all passages are equally Um, uh, clear to us, but what it is is that God has spoken and His desire is for us to understand the things that He has spoken about, not obscure them or veil them. And as we take time to study God's Word and and investigate it and hear God's Word taught, uh, the Bible says that His Word is clear. He wants us to understand. Thirdly, Scripture is authoritative. The last word always goes to God. We must never allow the teachings of science, human experience, or of church councils to take precedence over Scripture. I know I've used this illustration before, but if I send one of my children to go give a task to one of the other children, uh, hey, will you go tell your brother it's time to do dishes? And they run upstairs, and inevitably, they'll shorten it and just say, hey, you've got to do dishes. <laughs> And then inevitably the response is, well, who said? (laughs) And when they realize that their authority is insufficient, they'll hearken back to the authority of the parents. Dad said, it's time to go do dishes. Oh, all right. They're all ready to argue. I'm not doing dishes. Who are you to tell me to do dishes? But when it comes out, mom and dad said, it's time to do dishes. Oh, (laughs) because... They've brought out the authority. They've, brought, they've pointed to the authority figure. When we open up God's Word, be it on Sunday morning here in church, in the, in the quiet of your home, 
in the early morning hours, in your small group, there is authority here because it is God who has spoken. It's not my ideas, it's not your ideas, but when you speak from God's Word, you can speak with authority because you're speaking based upon the one who has it, and that's God. That's God. Thirdly, or fourthly, then, Scripture is necessary. Scripture is necessary. General revelation, the fact that God has revealed Himself to, uh, to us through nature and through our consciences, it's not enough to save us. We cannot know God savingly only by means of personal experience and human, human reason. We need God's Word to tell us how to live, who Christ is, and how to be saved. And then lastly, just briefly, uh, the purpose of revelation. The purpose of revelation. Simply put, the purpose of revelation is relationship that resounds to the glory of God. The purpose of revelation is relationship. It's relationship. God wants to draw us into relationship with Him. He wants us to know Him. And that's why He has chosen to reveal Himself to us. And that is really, really good news. The purpose of revelation is relationship. God has not revealed Himself so that we can amass a a bunch of knowledge, learn about ancient documents or what life was like and in Israel a couple of thousand years ago. God has revealed His Word to us so that we can have relationship with Him, so that we can know Him. And so some practical implications of all this. First of all, God has spoken. God has spoken. And what that means is that we should be listening. God has spoken and is speaking through His Word, using the Holy Spirit who is in the hearts of Christians, and, and that means that we need to listen up. If you say to your child, hey, it's time to do dishes, and they're still playing their video games, hey, I'm talking to you, it's time to do dishes, and they wave you off, <laughs> all of a sudden that just took it to another level, <laughs> and you try to get their attention again. Or maybe now you've, you've got a hold of them and you're not using verbal encouragement anymore. <laughs> the point is, is that you, as a parent, feel like, hey, I'm, I'm talking here. You need to be listening. <laughs> and that's the same is true with God. When He speaks, we should listen up. Not only because He's our Creator, like we'll talk about next week, but because He loves us and He knows what's best for us and He wants what's best for us. And if we would just listen up and do what he says, things would go a whole lot better in our lives. So God has spoken. Secondly, God desires a relationship. God desires relationship. As I said, God is not speaking just so he can hear his own voice. But he wants to to draw us into relationship with him. And that, that is directed, first of all, you who are here who have never, never experienced this relationship, if you, don't, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have never taken time and said, God, I want this relationship. I want to know you. I realize that as a sinful human being, I, I, can't, I can't know you in this state. I need something. And the Bible says that what you need is Jesus Christ's forgiveness. And, 
And so he says that he gave his son on the cross for you. He died, rose again, and, and offers salvation for all those who, who confess their sins to him and turn in faith to Jesus Christ, believing that his work was sufficient. And what happens when you do that is that you begin this relationship with God. This is great. And some of you have known this for a long time and, and have never made that decision. And what a better time to do it than today. Some of you, though, have made this decision a long, long time ago, but have not been so invested in this relationship. Jesus and God, it's kind of just a, it's a neat thing. And you come to church and it's, it's kind of a hobby, but it's not a relationship by any means. Know that God desires that closeness. God desires that intimacy. He is pursuing you. And the place to go is Scripture. If you want to connect with God, if you want to know Him intimately. And so therefore, God calls us to respond. God doesn't just speak and, and expect us to just nod and say, Oh, that's okay. Praise God. That's, that's exciting. But he, he engages us then. And He calls us to step forward into commitment, and to respond to His Word. And I don't know, you know, we haven't got into those specifics today. That's not the point of our message. But maybe you know for your life right now what that specific is. When I say God is calling you to respond, maybe in your own heart, God right now is calling to Scripture or calling to mind something that He has been chiseling away at you. Maybe there's someone that you just absolutely have to speak to about Jesus Christ at work. Maybe there is someone who you have offended or you are upset with and you need to clear the air and talk to them. Maybe that's what God's calling you to respond to today. Maybe you have totally ignored Scripture recently. You've been so busy and frantic that you've not spent any time in His Word. And maybe the response God is calling you today is to get back into His Word on a daily basis, reading and meditating upon it and applying it to your heart. I don't know, I don't know what God's calling you to respond to in your specific situation today. But I want you to know that God has revealed himself. God has spoken through his word and is speaking to us today to respond to him, to draw us into that intimate and close relationship. And my prayer is that each of us realizes the the significance of God's revelation and that each of us responds to it. Please join me in prayer. Father, we are so blessed to have your word today. And there have been times when I'm reading the Old Testament I, and I think it would have been so cool to be Abraham or Moses and actually hear your voice thundering from the sky, hearing your precise words directed right to me. There have been times when I, I've wondered what it would be like to have had that a little bit jealous even. But then when I realized that often years, months and years would go by in between hearing your, your audible voice and, and often in those, those long periods, long intervals, they had nothing to go on except for the last word. And, and I remember that you, you have spoken to me. You've given, given me this book 66 books that reveal your, your story of redemption and your will for my life. And I, I'm reminded again that we are abundantly blessed to have your word. 
God, I pray that we would not take it for granted, that we would meditate on the, the significance of your revelation and then seek to understand what it is you're saying to us and how you would like to transform our lives. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts powerfully so that we can see the beauty of the gospel and the transformative power of the life of Jesus Christ within us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.